Hey folks, Preet here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. In a case with major First Amendment implications, a federal judge in Louisiana has restricted Biden administration officials from communicating with social media companies about content moderation. There are also developments in the Trump classified documents case. Following the arraignment of Trump's valet and co-defendant, Walt Nauda, a number of questions remain. Will Nauda flip on Trump? And should they be tried together or separately? Meanwhile, Trump asked Judge Cannon to delay the trial indefinitely, or at least until after the 2024 presidential election. And the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney, who handled the Hunter Biden investigation, has denied whistleblower claims that DOJ stonewalled the investigation and retaliated against the whistleblowers. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other exclusive content, try the Cafe Insider membership. For a limited time, we're offering a special deal. The annual membership is now 40% off for the first year. To sign up, head to cafe.com insider and use the special discount code JUSTICE. That's cafe.com insider, discount code JUSTICE. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. So we have a number of things to talk about. There's this first matter that some people have been buzzing about. It relates to a federal court decision in Louisiana. It's a preliminary ruling that if you just look at the headlines, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it basically restricts the Biden administration from communicating with social media companies about their content. Do you want to explain what's going on there? You know, I wish I could. This case is a little bit of a a puzzler, to be honest. It's brought by the attorneys general in Louisiana and Missouri, and they sue the Biden administration. They are joined, by the way, by some individual plaintiffs in suing the Biden administration. For instance, a group that pushed misinformation about COVID, a professor who says he lost his job during the time of COVID for refusing to vaccinate. So there's a very political component to this lawsuit, which says that the Biden administration pushed social media platforms to remove content and that there was a political point of view being exercised here, that it was an anti-conservative bias, an anti COVID disinformation, if you will, bias, uh, a bias that favored removing information about foreign manipulation of our elections. And so before we even get to the substance of this case, there's this very interesting question of whether or not these parties have standing. And, you know, it seems to me that the government has the better of the argument here and that these two states' attorneys general are are essentially manufacturing standing. But I guess we now live in a post-standing world where the Supreme Court has said that doesn't really matter if you want to engage in the culture wars. So here we are in court, right? Standing again. Here we go. That, that pesky little subject. If you're going to law school, pay attention when they talk about standing in civil procedure. Or maybe don't because it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, what's interesting is here, the defendants are a number of government officials, right, in the Biden administration, who are accused of engaging in restrictions on speech in violation of the First Amendment. The plaintiffs, as you point out, are some of these individuals who you described and the two attorneys general of those two states, Louisiana and Missouri. 
But the social media companies themselves are not parties. They're not. They would undeniably have standing. Do you agree with that? As plaintiffs to sue the government, absolutely. And it's not fully clear what their position is in all this. We should point out that, by the way, you know, that in this preliminary injunction, the judge used very strong language, um, you know, didn't seem to struggle at all with what I think is a more difficult question, whatever side of it you land on, more difficult question than he seems to have considered it to be, quote, if the allegations made by plaintiffs are true, present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history, end quote. Whatever you think about the decision, whatever you think about whether this is a violation or not, that to me is an extreme exaggeration. And the word if does a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence, right? If the allegations are true. Well, that's what the judge is tasked with determining in a preliminary injunction setting, whether or not the plaintiffs have a substantial likelihood of success on the merits. And instead of really grappling with that issue, the judge just sort of assumes there's this sort of a recitation of the plaintiff's claims and an an acceptance of them without much in the way of meaningful analysis as to why they can show a significant chance of success on the merits when, in fact, as you say, it's, it's in no way their speech that is even allegedly being restricted. But, you know, beyond that, they have a significant issue here, which is that the social media platforms have their own policies about when and what to remove, and the government has no ability to impact that. So this is a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, even if you give the plaintiffs their best reading here, folks in the White House early in the administration may have been a little bit pushy about saying, we want you to look at this. But the evidence is that the social media companies were fully able to push back. Twitter, for instance, said, here's a portal. We want you to streamline your process. If you have complaints to make, make them in this portal and we'll take a look at them. And so there's no evidence that the government was making any decisions here. They might have been flagging things. They might have been explaining why they had concerns. Ultimately, the social media companies decide what stays and what goes on their platforms. I mean, it's a little odd. What are we talking about here? We're not talking about the government saying under penalty of punishment that a social media company had to remove a post, right? It's From the government's perspective, they were just engaging in, whether you you buy it or not, they were engaging in good faith engagement. And that happens between (laughs) governmental entities. For, For example, this is not at all the same, but I wonder if this is implicated too. From time to time, and I'm sure this happened with you also, a newspaper might write an article about a case that my office was prosecuting. And from time to time, the article would get something wrong or mischaracterize a proceeding. And we had a press office and a press officer, more than one. You, I'm sure, had the same capability as well. And you'd call up the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal and you'd say, look, with respect to this thing, I think you've mischaracterized the nature of the sentencing or you mischaracterized what was said by the judge. So we would like you to change it because it's wrong. And if you don't, we'll put out our own statement or whatever the case may be. Is that an infringement on the First Amendment? You know, I think that's the perfect example, right? Sometimes it's very helpful when you think about online sorts of issues to look at their pre-internet context. And here, this is the sort of exchange of information that helps everybody. It helps the news media get things right. It helps offices like ours understand their point of view 
ultimately, as the government, as a former U.S. attorney, I had no ability to compel newspapers in that sort of a setting, but I did want to give them the best information that I could. And they were very appreciative of that. And we had a wide open exchange. What the preliminary injunction that the judge issued here does is it shuts off that sort of exchange, except in limited circumstances. It says, government, you can no longer meet with these agencies. In fact, the government responded by canceling some of those regularly scheduled meetings. And although the injunction has some exceptions, for instance, for national security issues or in criminal cases— the way the order is written, it, it's so nebulous, it's such a slippery slope that the government now has to live in fear of violating the court's order. And you know, like I do, what all the general counsels at the agencies are doing. They're saying, don't do anything because we don't want to be in contempt. And the real problem here is that the folks that lose are the American public. We are all less safe when that exchange of information can't take place. Yeah, look, I'm thinking as we're just speaking, I'm thinking of other examples that, you know, some are known, some are not known. But on, on occasion, the government will tell a news organization that is working on a story, if you print that story, it will harm national security. That happened in my case, you know, once or twice. So not just, you know, they're getting something wrong, but there's a leak of information, which happens all the time. And even in those circumstances, generally, depending on the circumstances, but generally, the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or any other periodical will say, with all due respect, go to hell. We have a First Amendment right, and we have a journalistic obligation to publish these. You know, from time to time, they will refrain or they may be more hazy about the reporting or the delay for a day or two. But often they'll say, sorry, we're going forward. And the government has not really any ability to do anything about that. The question that this case presents is, is even the phone call, and maybe I'm missing something here, but it seems clear to me that this is what's implicated, is just the phone call from the attorney general or from the United States attorney or whoever to the newspaper saying, you're going to jeopardize sources and methods if you publish this article. Is that on its own a restriction on free speech? So it seems to me that that's the correct argument. And it's the argument that Judge Dottie bypasses when he issues the preliminary injunction in this case. You know, the problem here is there is a little bit of selectivity about where to file the lawsuit. The lead plaintiffs are the attorneys general from Missouri and from Louisiana. They chose to file the lawsuit in Louisiana. That is in the ultra-conservative Fifth Circuit, where there have been some interesting results, especially on the standing issue lately. So this case is now on appeal to the Fifth Circuit. The government has already appealed the grant of the preliminary injunction. And it'll be interesting to see whether the circuit will bounce the preliminary injunction. I think it's, you know, we talk a lot about these cases and about whether they're close calls or not. I don't think this one is a close call. The district judge got it wrong here. Whether the Fifth Circuit will see it that way is an entirely different sort of a question. You know, it raises other questions about what is or is not permissible. You can imagine circumstances, and I've seen circumstances in which social media companies and other, you know, purveyors of content whether they're aggregators or not, want to know what the government thinks, right? There have been informal partnerships for a long time between these kinds of companies, these kinds of platforms, and law enforcement with the purpose of figuring out a good way through partnership and cooperation to root out child pornography and sex trafficking and all manner of bad thing. We don't 
we don't isolate the government and law enforcement on one side and these platforms on the other saying they can't have any conversation or interaction with each other at all because that's not the best way to solve some of these really, really horrible, heinous, intractable problems. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And then if you move beyond social media, the government engages with a lot of private entities on a, on a wide range of issues. But for instance, when it comes to cybersecurity, there are sort of vertical relationships in different industries, banking, healthcare, what have you, where the government shares information and where those sorts of industry groups are free to act or not. They can follow their individual policies. You know, could you perhaps make the attenuated argument that there are free speech implications there? I guess if this decision stands, you could. And, and for instance, when you ask medical groups or hospitals to provide certain information, maybe that could be characterized as compelling free speech. This, this decision is a bridge too far, trying to use the First Amendment to bootstrap it to do something it was never intended to do. You know, the complaint in this case actually complains about the Biden administration trying to cover up the Hunter Biden laptop disclosures. That's the level of silliness involved in this case. So what's going to happen on the appeal? Yeah, you know, I'm not optimistic about the Fifth Circuit, but I'd, I'd like to believe that even here they might see this as being a bridge too far. We don't know, frankly, what will turn up in discovery in this case, right? The, the merits of the case itself are a different sort of an issue. But in terms of a preliminary injunction, which is typically intended to freeze the status quo in place so that positions remain the same while litigation is ongoing, unless a party is going to be irreparably damaged if the status quo remains in place, you know, that's what needs to happen here. There is no irreparable harm. One of the other things that the plaintiffs have to show to get a preliminary injunction, if the status quo remains in place, if the government can continue to, to have conversations with the social media platforms, because they are free to do whatever they want to do, no matter what the government says to them, and then let the litigation proceed. That would be the right result coming out of the Fifth Circuit. Well, we'll be paying attention. Stay tuned, as someone sometimes <laughs> says. Are, are you going to venture a guess, though? I mean, here I'm here I'm bashing the Fifth Circuit on my own. The, the other thing I'll say is, part of what's animating this is anger, certainly on the part of people on the right, and it sounds like that is being absorbed by the judge here, that there was, you know, point of view discrimination. And that most of the cases in which there was some pressure to use the court's word, to remove postings or content relating to COVID and the vaccines and masking and everything else, it was against the quote-unquote conservative point of view. So, you know, they're not saying it was equal with respect to, you know, different kinds of points of view on the political spectrum, on the ideological spectrum, but mostly was seeking to suppress, the judge says, and the critics say, conservative voices, although, you know, some of the notable things that were seeking to be suppressed were comments and posts by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I don't know if he is a conservative don't get me started. or a Democrat, but he's certainly running as a Democrat in the primary against Joe Biden. So it's not exclusively conservative as we have commonly understood that term. Yeah, you know, the judge is interesting here. He's a Trump appointee, 
But he has a great background. He was a state court prosecutor. He was a state court judge. He's highly respected. People who litigate in that district think that he's really smart. There's one interesting thing about him. He seems to have a real issue when it comes to COVID, and he ruled against the government repeatedly in cases about mandating vaccines. So there's maybe some reason to believe that this is a hot-button issue for him. But he, by and large, has a good reputation. And I think if the Fifth Circuit tells him to uh, get back to work, I think that he'll follow that guidance. So we may see this one resolve in a fashion that lets the litigation move forward without imposing this just tremendous sanction on the government in the meantime. We have a number of developments with respect to the former president, Donald Trump, F. POTUS, as he's sometimes referred to in court documents. Most notably, perhaps, we have learned that last night, the Trump lawyers filed a document with the court in the Southern District of Florida, essentially asking for the trial date to be adjourned indefinitely until various complicated motions are decided. You'll recall that the judge at first, on a sort of rocket docket basis, set the trial for Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and become a member for 40% off the first year using the special discount code justice. That's cafe.com slash insider using the discount code justice. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you.